Hey, Greyhounds fans, thank you for listening to the Hounds Huddle podcast on MoravianSports.com, the Greyhound Sports Network, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am LJ Smith, Assistant Director of Athletic Communications at Moravian University, and on this episode, I sat down with women's soccer coach Jeff Yakorik, learning about his playing days during college, through his coaching career, to finishing his eighth season as the head coach of the Greyhounds women's soccer program. So let's get started and meet our guest. Head coach, Jeff Yakorik. Thank you again for joining us on the Hounds Huddle podcast, the official podcast of Moravian University Greyhounds Athletics. I'm LJ Smith. Alongside me this episode is head women's soccer coach, Jeff Yakorik. Thank you for joining me today, coach. Thanks for having me. We'll kind of give you a rundown of the show quick. We're going to talk about how you first got started with the sport of soccer all the way uh, up to high school and college days as a student athlete, and then go through your coaching tenure all the way leading up to you being the head coach of the Moravian women's soccer squad. So let's wait no further. We'll get things going. And uh, let's first talk about when did you first start playing soccer, kicking a soccer ball around? What was that? What was that like? I probably was around seven playing in like a local rec league. I remember, you know, not doing a whole lot in the backyard, just going out and my parents signed me up for community soccer I played had some fun with it but really didn't you know didn't fall in love with it right away and then the second year I went out and did the same level um, I just found more success with it and you know I didn't do any training on my own it just came naturally to me and so my parents were thinking about okay let's take it to the next level sign up for a travel program and uh, I went and did that and uh, you know got involved with the club itself and uh, met great people great coaching staff and parent coaches that didn't really know the sport of soccer so the, the game kind of taught ourselves. and I had you know a coach that was really trying to establish us and learn more about the sport he didn't play that sport so I was fortunate to have good people surrounding me and the progression of of that time period was probably right when the year-round soccer commitment at the club level started premier level club teams so when I was a senior in high school was able to play for like a premier level team that you know uh, was state runner up and you know got ourselves into regionals, uh, but you know way different landscape now than it was back then as far as the recruiting aspect of things. And we traveled down south for a lot of showcases. High school all star games were places where you got recruited at. Uh, we didn't have the, the every weekend in a row for four or five weekends of college coaches coming in. Uh, so way different landscape. Was that the only sport you played growing up? Did you just full-fledged soccer? Did you play anything else? No, I played played baseball. My dad was a huge baseball fan, and you know I played baseball. Uh, I really enjoyed baseball to the point where when I played against my classmates, you know, once it got to playing against other areas and communities, it just wasn't as fun. I just enjoyed playing against you know people I see in school every day. So mm-hmm. uh, when I got to middle school, I played basketball and ran track, and then in high school, played a little basketball, and then I did run track. Uh, to, to stay in shape for for soccer, but soccer was you know my love. So, senior year when I was playing basketball, uh, at that point these showcases were taking place. were during the holiday time period down in, in Florida, and uh, you know I made full commitment to saying I'm just going to be, you know, soccer track and, and put all my energy into that, which was helpful because I was able to stay fit and and actually increase my speed as well. So. That's awesome. Multi-sport athlete in high school, definitely something. Talking to some coaches, they look for to keep them in shape and just not burn out in that one sport. Yeah, and I was fortunate to have that a track coach that was knowledgeable about what he was doing, but also understood, you know, listen, he's playing soccer as well. And we see that now in the, at the club level, and I train club players. Some of their high school track coaches don't realize how much they're doing with premier level soccer. And 
they either doing four events, um, you know, twice a week, and then they're going to four practices, three practices, and then end up getting hurt. So it's important to have good coaches that, that can understand that balance of being a multi-sport athlete. Now, you talk about playing club and in high school. Were you recruited pretty heavily in high school? Like, what was that experience like for you on the student-athlete side of things? It was challenging because it was, you know, you, you were limited to the events that you were at. Uh, you would have to perform really well at those events. So all southeastern PA, so I was, you know, first team all suburban uh, in my conference, and then I made the what they call the Philly Alzheimer's game, which was the Catholic League versus the public, and interact with the private schools versus suburban. So I made that all suburban team. So I was able to get in front of coaches at those two events, uh, which was helpful. And then my club team having the success they did. Um, but yet we had to go, you had to go promote yourself even more uh, by writing letters. <laughs> so you would write a letter, you would send a VHS tape out to them and, <laughs> and hope to get a letter back or a phone call back. But it was, it's a different landscape. So I was recruited by, you know, different levels, but, you know, fell in love with the Division Three atmosphere. I think my my parents were comfortable with me being in a school that the ratio of the class was 14 to 1, and I'm not walking into a lecture hall of 200, or I'd walk, turn around and walk right back out. I needed that uh, interaction with my professors, but I also needed a coach that wasn't viewing me as a number. So during that process, you know, it was important for me to have that coach that was going to guide me and, and get to me where I needed to be. And some of the schools, I just felt like they just looked at me as a number. It was, you know, it's a little higher level, but it just I didn't have that personal interaction so coach was you know we're still connected to this day and you know you know meeting with him I, I knew he cared about me you know off the field as well so that shaping your decision where did you end up going and being a student athlete at? yeah I went up going upstate New York to Elmira College you know all my focus was going on down south <laughs> I got uh, a lot of the schools down south were looking at me because we were going to showcases down in that region uh, so I looked at schools and, uh, you know, got recruited by some southern schools, went up to upstate New York. On a trip, a uh, coach came down to do a home visit. He was going to go to my high school that day, but we got a snowstorm. <laughs> so he even came down in the snowstorm, came to my house, paid a visit. My parents said, you owe him a trip back up. I went back up and uh, just fell in love with the upstate New York. You know, the winters are long there, but it was it was a good experience. And then obviously coach, you know, made a decision to, to, to go to another institution and to be able to finish my career with him at Eastern University, which was a pleasant experience for me, um, you know, playing uh, for him again and, and with, with a, a new set of guys was, was, a, was a fun experience. So I've had the fortune of, of really gaining a lot of relationships, you know, from the club level, high school level, and the collegiate level. And I just spoke to a couple of people about that the other day is the fact that, you know, people in my wedding party represented high school soccer, club soccer, and, 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 and college soccer. So it's kind of neat. Coming full circle, for sure. Just mm-hmm. to, So you, you make the trip from Elmira to Eastern. Mm-hmm. You're, you're still playing under the same head coach. Was it difficult for you to make that transition for that final year? No, I think, um, you know, being closer to home, yeah. that helps a lot. And, you know, the Eastern, uh, being a Christian school, was probably the biggest change for me, that dynamic. But it was in a positive way. I mean, there was, I met so many caring people in that campus, and, you know, the fulfilling expectation of playing and uh, knowing that, you know, your career is coming to an end, like, you know, you're, you're more focused on just appreciating every day and every moment. You know, your surroundings are there, but it's just so focused because it's two and a half months. It goes by quickly. And uh, so we had, you know, su- such great practices. We had a really good team uh, that we were bonded together. And like I said, it was, you know, that transition was easier because it was closer to home. But also at the same time, it was just, you know, you're hyper-focused on, 
getting every ounce of <laughs> uh, of experience because you know your time is coming to an end. So it was a pretty easy transition. Following your final season as a student athlete, what was your next move after graduation? I knew I wanted to coach. Uh, you know, throughout the summers of my collegiate career, I would work for Middle State soccer camp. I'd work seven weeks, travel around, you know, picking up cones for different Division One, Two, II, and Three coaches, and learning, you know, different styles. Coaches that I worked for for a week that I couldn't stand. Yeah. <laughs> Their personality and the coaches are like, oh, that's who I want to be, uh, be like. So that was my experience. So when I got out, I was already involved, you know, club level, you know, soccer training and and getting my license, and knew that was the path I wanted to get involved in, and was fortunate enough to to get connected uh, at our sinus on the men's side as an assistant, you know, right after you know, finishing my playing career, which was, it was meant to be. It was awesome. So that was, that was quite lucky to have that. So you, you go to Ursinus as an assistant, and then you're named the head coach of the women's soccer team. You're there, you spent nine years there. So what was that? You, you finally get your first, you crack into the head coaching realm. Mm-hmm. How many different things did you take from all your mentors, learning your do's and don'ts? What, what really helped shape your coaching philosophy? Because you're, you're learning a lot in your first season or two as, mm-hmm. as a new head coach. Yeah, totally. I think it's, it's a lot. A lot came from the foundation that was given to me by my college coach, uh, Mark Wagner, and, and, and you know, taking his philosophy and ideas tactically. But also the, the biggest thing is the culture, you know, him developing a culture and a program, how important it was. And when I was involved with him at Elmira, you know, he was invested into making sure the culture was strong so players weren't abiding by that, you know, he removed those players. He made, made, made sure he knew that you have to be, you know, on par with what we're doing off the field as well. So you have the combination of, of working with other coaches in the summer. You have, you know, the awesome experience that I had with, with Coach Mark Wagner and, like, paved that way for me to, to learn more about the game tactically. But you know, his sessions were already, you know, it would never be the same drill we would go through. We'd always have different themes. So I got a lot from him and then, you know, piecing together from being around other coaches. I also did a lot of stuff in the Olympic development program uh, when that was really the, the, the highest level of youth soccer where the best players in the state were playing for Eastern Penn and New Jersey and working with some of the great coaches in Eastern Pennsylvania um, and under, you know, being an assistant at that level uh, with some you know, collegiate coaches, some coaches that had you know, experience with the national team. So it's blending all those things together, and that's, you know, it's an appetite for development as a coach, and you just take bits and pieces from other coaches and experiences you have, and you blend it into your own. So uh, so when I was there on the men's side for one year and then got approached to say, hey, listen, we, we were serious about you being a candidate for the women's job, I took that opportunity and, was, and uh, you know, I knew it wasn't at that time and my whole experience was it was a part-time position at our sinus. So I, I, I took advantage of that right away, and I was still able to wear different hats as well. I still did club. I did personal training. You know, I did ODP. So I was wearing a lot of different hats, but... I was establishing myself as a coach at a young age, which was at a head coach, which is, uh, which was wonderful. So yeah, very valu- valuable. Yes. Yeah, totally. Uh, so your time leading the Bears, you posted an 85, 62, and 15 record from 2003 to 2012. You made six appearances in the Centennial Conference playoffs, including a finals appearance in 2007, and the ECAC Division Three tournament in 2005. So those are just a couple of things I can rattle off about your experience there, but you also hold the record for the most wins in the regular season, conference, and playoff games in our sinus program history. You did all this in your first head coaching stop. What, reflecting back on that, did you notice what kind of magnitude you were leaving on that program? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it was a great experience down there. I think that, you know, for, to have 
a quality academic school um, in, a, in a nice area with you know strong pre-med program. The, the ability to recruit there it wasn't overly challenging, but at the same time, we, we didn't have a history of success. Um, so we had to you know, change that. And I think the, the understanding with my first couple of years was the fact that you know, we're gonna play within a certain system. Um, you know, we played Dutch 4-2-3-1 and we were gonna be really good at it. Um, we happened to have personnel to do that. I think you know, at the time you know, when I took over, I'm like, we have pieces. Mm. And then from that point on, I think it just, it caught on fire. And you know, I think you know, being around the sport, like I said, as much as I am off the field, that time spent with the club, ODP, you're just, you're just fine tuning your craft. So, and, and, and that conference was, is very competitive on the women's side. So it was constantly knowing that every day, you know, you have to win every conference game, you lose one or two, you, you could be out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I took that with me here when I got to Moravian of, of knowing that I was, I was in a conference that was so competitive uh, that I don't keep that competitive mindset moving into the into Moravian switch here, so. You go from being the head coach of the Ursinus program, a women's head coach for nine years, and then you make the transition back to Eastern, mm-hmm. and you're a men's assistant coach for two years. What was that jump transition of in your career? Yeah, that's the uh, that was the decision to be made. You know, put nine years at at a school that at the time their mindset wasn't to have a full time role. And Coach Wagner was the one that sat me down and says, you know, you're wearing four different hats. You know, you got to think about moving forward and. Uh, spending less time on a soccer field and, and, and maybe get married and, and have a family one day. So I always remember that conversation where it took place um, with me. And uh, and I said, you know, at that point, why don't I build up? I have experience on the women's side. Let's open up an opportunity to get some experience, more experience on the men's side. So then my you know, my resume would could fit opportunities on either end of it. So going and working with him and, and being on the sideline on the men's side was a great experience. I played at Eastern. Uh, you know, I always loved the philosophy that he, he, he brought into that program, especially at Eastern as well. Uh, so it was, a, it was an easy transition. It was quite nice for two falls not to have as much stress uh, from <laughs> August to November. Uh, it's a different role, but, um, you know, learned a lot from him and how to deal with, with the male personality and uh, with the differences between coaching both the male and the female athlete. You, you mentioned it a little bit. You, you were a student athlete for your former coach, Coach Wagner. And now you're on the sidelines with him. What was that experience like? Because I, talking to a couple of friends of mine who are now coaches on different coaching staffs who coach with their former coach, mm-hmm. they realize how frustrated the coach was, why they were frustrated with them in certain aspects. What was that like for you, finally being on the sideline and being kind of even with, with Coach Wagner? Uh, it was awesome. I think that, you know, obviously being a head coach, you know, the stress of game day and what brings. So we have that common knowledge and sense and you know I'd put nine years in a, in a college program so I felt like at that time you know I wasn't coming in to be the Batman I was going to be the Robin I was okay with it I really enjoyed it uh, but I wanted to, to just do my role and do it well and he actually allowed me to do a lot of training and, and work with the players and um, you know and, and system related stuff that was different you know on the men's side uh, than the women's side but it was just so much fun to, to sit down and spend all that time together talking soccer <laughs> you know yeah uh, it's just there's no better feeling and the staff that was there you know uh, was some staff was there when I was playing as well but still remaining so just to sit in a room with those guys and 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 they understood that I went through nine years of coaching and um, just sharing the knowledge and, and, uh, and bouncing ideas off each other was really a lot of fun and it's, it, it makes you a better coach every moment you're in there every day. So that was what I take away from that experience is like just 
you know, developing into when I was going to take over another program, you know, hitting the restart button and say, okay, this is, there's some things I want to change. These are things I want to input. These are things I want to keep the same. And just sharing those ideas with, with soccer-minded people and that are good people was, was, was a fun time. Now, throughout all of these experiences you've had, you also, outside of the college ranks, you also were the founder and director of Right Path Soccer. So tell me a little bit about what that is and how you got that up and running. Yeah, I think the, the beauty of the club world is the fact that you get to develop young athletes. Uh, some of the negative pieces of the club world is, is sometimes you have to deal with playing time issues, you know, parents not being happy. And uh, so I wanted to combine the best of both worlds, work with a young player, develop them, but to avoid that madness of these sports, what they are now, which is unfortunate. But uh, so it was an opportunity to develop into not only just individual players, small group players, but, you know, running camps, um, you know, dictating my own schedule. Uh, which was nice to to have that opportunity, and it was something that I developed, and like shortly after that, and you know, led me to to opening up my application and, and coming here to Moravian. So it wasn't a long term project that I had. I had up and running; it was doing well, and then Moravian then became my main priorities up here in Bethlehem. So you also, on top of that, you've been in, involved with club programs as well over the past twelve years in the the Philadelphia area. So being a part of those programs, getting to see top tier student athletes come through does that help you recruit in certain ways as well because you're getting to develop these uh, student athletes and, and and kids coming out of high school have you worked with any younger groups or has it primarily been high school aged uh i've done you know i've been on the high school age boys side and, and on the girls side as well uh, i've worked with uh, youth level players in a, more of an academy setting okay where your your small group academy stuff so that you know that transition in the club area in eastern pennsylvania where it's highly competitive south jersey is highly competitive uh, networking is is massive so you know from the recruiting standpoint it's not only about just working with that age group it's about knowing the club coaches and the director of coaches of those clubs that you know that they want to help your program so when they have a player that's not getting recruited at a high level or it's, or it's kind of behind the scenes, you know, or un, under the radar, you know, you get that email from them and it's just, that's massive to have those eyes out there helping you. So, but the high school level, obviously from when I was at our sinus was uh, the boys program that I directed there and ran was geared because when we were in season, I needed that age group to be in season in high school. Okay. And as soon as November hit, they were done, I was done and we would go train. And I was able to do that with a couple of my good friends that, played at Eastern. Uh, we are all system-related players that played for, for Coach Mark. So uh, we'd get together on a turf field with three or four t age groups and teams, and we'd separate by positions. And uh, we ended up attracting a lot of good players based on the fact that we were, uh, we were doing system-related stuff and having success with that. Um, and there was no politics involved. A lot of the club stuff's politics here and there. It was four college coaches just hanging out on Tuesday, Thursdays on a turf field <laughs> for three hours. And it's really, you know, when you remove all that nonsense from it, it's easy to have success. When you take away the politics away from it, remove that kind of stuff and just purely focus on player development, and uh, that, which is massive and it goes a long way. And, and some of those players, you know, went, went to the right fit of schools. We weren't trying to push our players to an, a higher level and just to promote our club. Yeah. We, were, we were able to find the right fit for those players as well. And then now you're connecting with other college coaches on that end of things. So you're co competing against them sometimes at, on the sideline on the college level, but then you're helping push players that way. So that's what I'm doing right now with, with my, my 04 LVU team. And last year with O2 as well as, is, you know, if they want to go to Scranton, play Scranton, go ahead. That's yeah. the best fit for you. I want the best thing for you. So it's, it's been a fun experience, but it's opened my eyes too, as, you know, as much as we can in the club world is, you know, when you go recruit, 
seeing players play multiple times because there are certain times that uh, with my club team, certain days that the players do really well. And yeah. then that, that latter part of the week, they're just not as consistent. So it really shows that you have to go out to these showcases and watch these kids play four to five times to make sure that that one time you saw them wasn't their, their peak. <laughs> yeah. uh, that they're, and then the next time you saw them, they could be the valley. So uh, it opened my eyes on that end as well. Are you looking to get your hands on Moravian University Greyhounds gear? Head over to moraviansports.com and click the link sideline store under the tab fan zone to find our Moravian apparel store. Each month, there is a promotion that offers a discount to all things Greyhounds from hats, hoodies, shirts, and more. Head to the Moravian Athletic Sideline Store today, powered by BSN Sports. So you finish up at Eastern and you get the opportunity to come here. What was going through your mind as you're about to go from you were a head coach to an assistant back to a head coach? You're about to take that next step and reestablish your, yourself as a head coach. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just the that taking that time period of, of saying, okay, I want to, you know, I look myself in the mirror, evaluate myself as a coach. And this is what I want to take with me that I had success with. These are things I want to change. This is what I've learned. And then come up into a new environment. And I think probably for me, the, the soccer end thing wasn't as concerning. I, I got hired maybe two weeks before preseason. So I felt even that first full year, I was getting to know faces on campus. I met some of my players for the first time in preseason. Yeah. Um, you know, but my biggest concern, I think, was, you know, what kind of culture do we have off the field? You know, if I want to focus on developing these players and soccer players, am I going to be spending more time disciplining people or having more study halls and then having that time taken away from me to focus purely on soccer? So you know, when I learned, you know, I remember Mary Beth, I asked her about that, and she said it's a, a wonderful group. They get along well. They work hard. They get good grades. So that was relieved, relieving for me to have that and so purely focus on that soccer aspect of it then. That definitely makes your job easier, being able to focus on the tech, technical work for your squad. But also, we, we've touched upon culture a couple times throughout the episode so far. That That's something that I feel almost every coach I've talked to, interviewed, always talks about the culture of their program and how that's kind of their main priority. But it always seems, since being around you, I, I've seen you since... 2015, really, since I've started covering sports uh, with Mark in, in the athletic communications office, there's always been that buy-in, without a doubt, within your group. So it takes time to develop that, but it's also, I feel like, you're able to connect with your squad on a personal level. Do you feel that the same way, too? Have you had that experience with coaches in the past? Yeah, I think, you know, I think when you – as, as as much as you travel around the sport and you play in the fall and then you, do, you get in the club level and you see, you know, why are these programs having success? It's one of those things where you want to follow those teams and, and pay attention to what they're doing. Or why are these teams not doing well? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, sideline demeanor and, and professionalism on the sideline and then uh, understanding what guided our program. So when I was played for Coach Mark and we played for you know, two or three years of being a top 25 team, like what, you know, talent gets you so far. But the locker room is massive as well. So seeing that end of things and, you know, knowing how to connect with players and understand that, you know, the, the main goal is to provide a, a positive atmosphere for training and development. You spend, you spend so much time together. So I think you just, you know, you focus in, in one year as a coach and looking at successful teams, club teams, college teams, and, and what makes them successful. And 
and reinforcing those things. And, and then when you go experience playing against other teams that aren't strong cultured, and we end up, they, they don't beat us, <laughs> we end up beating them, and this us, and then why would you ever want to change? Because you know it doesn't work, right? Yeah. And I think it's the experiences, you know, we take our captains or leadership council to the Hall of Fame banquet. And I said, you know, listen to the speeches of the Hall of Famers. None of them talk about the home run, uh, the game-winning goal, um, the big save. They all talk about the, the we memories as a team. And it's the same thing at the alumni game. Like, no one's talking about after the game, oh, I was all conference, this and that. They talked about the fun memories. So uh, we work to create those memories. So when we're in overtime, we're just saying, hey, listen, like, we can put that ball in the back of that. There's a dog pile there. You'll have that memory forever. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you work hard for that. You know, the individual statistical stuff goes away, but those memories are always going to be there. So, and that's what my college coach, and he, even in high school and even in club, I've had that mentality around my life the whole time. So, and you have so many great memories from that. So <laughs> that's why not continue it, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, that's, I think it's a, such a unique thing as I've been talking to coaches and reflecting on just the past season, but also the past couple of years with, which what we'll get to shortly is with a pandemic hitting, you don't realize how fortunate those moments were. And now playing a full season this past year, I feel like everyone was so much, they were made aware of the magnitude of those moments. Absolutely. Because you appreciate it so much more. And, you know, looking back on that, you build your program through, you know, staple classes that you bring in higher numbers or those players. And that's what we were that year. And uh, we had that senior class that was going to lead us to an opportunity to play the, uh, maybe for a semifinal or host a semifinal or get to a final. And, and then to know the feeling of making a phone call, calling the, the captain saying, hey, we're done, we're shut down, we're not playing. And then when we got to school, hey, there's six weeks, you know, not going to train, it's hard. And mm -hmm. then we got cut short of that right before holiday break for Thanksgiving. And you come back and you're in a mask, they're in a mask, there's no parents on senior day. I think you jump out of that and you, it's a constant reminder. And, we, and there's multiple times I reminded the players at a certain point, like, hey, you might be tired after the fourth day of preseason, but at least you have this opportunity. Think yeah. about your seniors from last year. We used that multiple times, and I think our players really respected that and looked at that and said, "We have, a, we're given an opportunity that someone else wasn't." After three or four years of training and lifting, that was tough. So you know, to be able to rebound the way we did this year on an odd number year, meaning 2019, we're always playing those four really competitive programs away. Yeah. Here you have a big senior class. We're going to have all those teams at home. Uh, we didn't even get that opportunity. Yeah. So then we rebound with a really young program now and then uh, with great leadership from our, our older players. But, you know, 22 of the, of the 32 were freshmen and sophomores, never did this before. And to get to the conference playoffs in that odd year where you're playing all those, those high-level teams away uh, was just a really good accomplishment. And uh, it's all because of the, the hard work that the players put in and how close they are. Uh, the culture is really strong, and I think that gets us to that next level to, to get those results. So we, we alluded to it. There was a global pandemic that shut down your season, fall of 2020, and you're trying to make the most of the experience for that graduating class. Uh, how tough was it on you as, as a coach to kind of be there for them during such a confusing time? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you you know, nobody thought, or, or, you know, a couple of weeks and we'll be back at it, back at it or mm -hmm. in that spring. So we, I didn't, at the initial time period of that spring, 
of the pandemic hit, we didn't think about the fall. We thought we would be fine by the summer and we're back at it. So as it continues to move forward, got more severe with the cases and you started to realize, okay, this could impact the fall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Landmark was one of the, the, the last conferences to make that decision. Although everybody in their gut kind of knew, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Those players were still training and, and, uh, in the summer to be ready to play if they needed to. So, uh, you know, obviously we did a lot, you know, with, with zooms, our summer group families made com- some fun competitions within that. And, um, you know, you try to do as much as you can to keep them in a positive mindset, but, um, they're all smart young ladies and they're, they're processing things and they're keeping their fingers crossed, but they they know it's, it's not likely. So you just have to stay positive and be there for them and support them. Academically was, you know, for us, one of the things too was, you know, you're transitioning now into online learning and, um, you know, you can have players that were achieving at a high level in a normal setting, but might struggle. So figuring out who those players are and, and spending more time with them to help them get through that academic piece. And then uh, do as much as you can. We, we were down on the Betty Prince and we would space out in a circle with chairs and take the mask off and just talk, you know, just, you know, make sure we're there for them. So we, we really did a lot of small group meetings and a lot of FaceTime with them and, you know, as much as we could. But, um, you know, after that, the, the spring opportunity, you know, we, gyms were shut down. There was 20 inches of snow on fields. <laughs> so we, we knew coming back that we had an opportunity to play, but we weren't going to be at the highest level. Uh, so my mindset was that we're, they're scrimmages. So we, we started all of our seniors every game, uh, and we played rotated players and pretty much every half played the full roster because we didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, if it was going to shut us down or not. Mm-hmm. So we didn't look at it to get results in the spring as much. We looked for it just to be an experience, a positive one. Yeah, and I can imagine how difficult it must have been for that senior class knowing, like, y- you want to give them the right experience because these may be the last time they, they put on mm-hmm. – a greyhound uniform and at least the capability of having scrimmages where you're not going toe-to-toe with your teammates on the other side of the field you're facing other landmark conference opponents it's just the pressure that environment wasn't the same yeah i think you know you take a look at a normal fall season and then for us to be in a pandemic where the ultimate goal for us to get to the most exciting part was going to be the blue versus gray soccer scrimmage mm-hmm. so much that was taken away from it that that was that was our our world cup yeah and uh so we didn't even get that so i think emotionally it was really hard for them uh, because at that point where our fitness level was still coming off the summer training was at a pretty high level so we knew that scrimmage would have been that was their ultimate goal but then to be turned around and say okay you're going to get a live match there's referees there uniforms you get pregame music like whatever it could be like that was like I said, you appreciate it every moment, but, and then at the end of the, every game, it's just kind of like you looked at each other and, and hoped that we would be able to do that for three more times and then two more times. You, know, you didn't know if you would get the next week. Next one. So I think at the end of the games, it was an odd feeling as well. And, and not to have, you know, on senior day, you know, handing in the flowers, you know, without their parents being there was, you know, it was hard. We wanted that. You know, yeah. Other institutions didn't want that, but we wanted that. So I know it wasn't a Moravian thing. It was more just the hand we were dealt, but. Uh, just make the most of it. A lot of our practices were geared around, you know, getting ourselves organized to play, but also enjoying the time together, having some fun moments and, and, and fun, you know, soccer-related games, enjoying that that time, that time to get, that was your two hours to get away from the pandemic. And then you practice it and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're, in, we're back in it and you hear the news and all that. So um, 
I, I you know, it's, it was hard because that senior class really, you know, deserved more than that. But uh, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't the school's fault. It's just what happened. So fast forward, you have a traditional false start to your season. You're in for training camp and to finally step on the sideline, coaching a meaningful game, a road game at Penn State Berks. What was going through your head and how did you kind of prepare your, your squad for that moment? Yeah, that was uh, was exciting. We had question marks that we had were young. You know, how yeah. are they going to react to the pressure of a match that actually counts? <laughs> Stats <laughs> count. You know, so it was it was a great feeling. You know, to to finally like you know when you're in a pandemic, you're like, what's it going to be like when we get back? You're finally at that moment. Um, you know, and, and to play a match where we knew you know at that point, hey, we're playing, but what does October look like? And mm-hmm. So we all had kind of questions like, are we going to get through this season? And you know, it's, you know, speaking with you know the spring sports, going through what they went through, where there's a lot of contact tracing and players being out. Uh, we we were a deep team anyway. We could sub a lot. We wanted to make sure we had a lot of players to get involved in the game, especially the the first four or five, just in case there was tracing. We have ten sophomores that live together yep. down south, um, so we needed players to be ready to go in case their number got called, even if they were first year players. So we did a lot of rotations and. And played our bench a lot, but it was a great feeling. You know, it was a feeling of accomplishment. But at the same time, you still have that taste from last year of like, you know, I wish that that group of seniors would be out here experiences with us. So it was bittersweet in a way as well. It was kind of an odd start to the year too, with some postponements and, and weather playing a factor. You didn't play your first home game on John McAvick Field until September 22nd, yeah. which is just bizarre. Um, you hosted Ramapo. And you come out with a 3-0 victory. How excited were the ladies to finally step foot on their home turf, have that environment there with fans, music, the like? That was awesome. I mean, it was electric in a, in a sense. They uh, This is also the first year of them being in the locker room. Yeah, the, the new locker, locker rooms. rooms yeah. So for them to be able to, you know, the, to get things going in that locker room and walk out to the music being on and have the lights come out, you know, and have the support from the crowd and, uh, we were able to score a pretty early goal when they took the pressure off, and uh, we were able to score a second one before halftime. Uh, it was, you know, you, just, you put the game out of reach a little bit, the early goal in the second half, and now you know as a coach, like, hey, not only are those girls playing and experienced, pretty much the whole roster is going to get in this game. Yeah. So you walk away from it being like, that's as, as good as you're going to get against, you know, an NJAC opponent who's, who's quality, who's, who's tough. So it's like, as a coach, we all want everybody to experience the same thing. You know, we want them all to play to score the game-winning goal, but we know that's not always possible. So that night was as, as good as you're going to get, you know, especially waiting all that time to be on that field, and uh, which was tough because we also had two home night games, you know, you know get one got canceled and one got postponed, postponed because of the weather. So, you know, you want to, after waiting all this time to play, you want home night games, and then when you lose them, it was it was hard for those those players. But they bounced back and ended up, ended up being undefeated at home, which was great this season. So, and you moved throughout the rest of the season. Uh, the ke- team continued to battle. You were able to solidify a landmark conference playoff berth. How excited, how thrilled was this group? And you alluded to it earlier, knowing that it was the the tough four road contests this year, and you were still able to solidify that playoff berth. It was it was a great accomplishment for the for the players. I think knowing that that is the tough year to get through, you know, to see the look on their face of you know, them accomplishing that, and we kind of knew too as well as you know where we stood and go, gone into a lot of those last games of the years having to win or having to like there's pressure to that. So we kind of knew based on results that we were in. Uh, so it was it was 
nice to enjoy that home game at the end where you you know you, you know if you, you don't get the result you're going home um, so yeah, just for the players to realize that and I think we, we also know that um, we had some hardship with with losing you know Megan and Hannah and um, that we were you know we were that four seed but we were right there to be a two seed as well mm-hmm. uh, not far off so uh, that was that plays with your emotions a little bit but I, I always said that you know um, to them like you know you're a playoff team that it's hard to do uh, especially coming off of losing a big senior class, being a younger program, having the injuries. Um, it, it was a really good accomplishment for us. And, and you touched on the leadership of your senior class. You graduated six student-athletes. Thinking back to their senior day, how how emotional was it for them knowing that this was the last time that they're really going to step on John Makovic Field? They have the pageantry this year. How grateful was this group? Yeah, I, th- I think they were uh, grateful. They're getting out on a senior day when, when we have seniors from last year on the hill, and so they wanted to perform not only for for the current players themselves but for them as well. So, uh, you know, and obviously that was unfortunate. Megan couldn't participate because she got injured prior to that, so there was emotion involved with that as well. So, um, you know, but there was another day where we got the result and it was a shutout, and we got a lot of players in the game, so it was as good of a senior day as you're going to get. Nice weather. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I, th- I think Lex had a goal in that game as well. You know, a senior scoring a goal on their senior day was special. And, uh, but that was, a, it was a, a fun time, and it was, uh, I think they really did appreciate it, you know, because knowing what we went through last year. Yeah, and Alexa Brown did. She scored the first goal and then an assist, assisted the second goal to, to Chelsea Meltzer. Alexa doing something very special for, for the program, but for the university as well, named an uh, academic All-American. Talk to, to her stature a little bit. How how she is as a student athlete, the whole package. Yeah. And I think Alexa, she's just so dialed in. Like it's, you know, at all moments of the day, it's her focus is on on being the best student or being the best athlete, but she's always dialed in. She's always processing things and execute things at a real high level, attention to small detail. uh, That all matters to her. And, uh, you know, so certainly having her as one of our leaders um, alongside of Morgan, who's tremendous as well as a nursing major and, uh, on par with everything as well. Um, you know, Alexa having been named uh, academic All-American, people that know her and knew her a couple of years ago are not surprised by that direct reflection of her hard work. And like I said, her attention to detail and everything. So, uh, you know, when that news came out, I mean, she got first female conference and then um, I was hoping for another award for her, whether it was all region or that this award and just to be able to, you know, to, to kind of know about it before I could tell her, yeah, you know, it was exciting. So um, just to see her yesterday, even the look on her face, and uh, it's so well deserving for her. As we get near the end uh, of the episode, the legacy of this senior class, enduring a pandemic, making an impact, all things combined. What has this group left behind as you look forward to the future of this program? Yeah, I think you need, you know. When you have a young group, you, you hope that your seniors and your upperclassmen are just are well-rounded. Um, that you know they, they want to achieve in the classroom. They want to be um, hitting home runs socially with each other, and then having the opportunity to compete as an athlete together. And I think you know to have six of them and their personalities, which are all different, but you know at the end of the day, they're just they're caring people and 
all of our younger players, you know, they can't, there's no excuse now to say, all right, you didn't have a, a good enough role model yeah. to, to follow in their footsteps. So that was really big. So they can turn around and say, you know, this is, if you want to, you want to be successful, take a look at, at these players here and take something from each one of them and package it together. And you're going to have an easier path here at Moravian. So that was great to have that, that senior role models from all of them. And they're all different personalities. And, uh, and also to, to know during that time of when Megan and Hannah go down, how quickly, you know, things can change as an athlete. And uh, so you know, that extra motivation to, to win a game for them and, and the seniors was there from our younger players during, you know, the season and senior day. So, so you conclude the season 6-5-4 and four overall and make an appearance in the Landmark Conference Tournament. So we look ahead to next season. What are you most looking forward to, knowing that you had such a youthful squad that now has some quality experience? What are you excited about looking to next year? Uh, in a positive mindset, thinking the way that I think about this group is that they're going to really, really get after it in the offseason. You know, take advantage of Coach Tom and Laurie and, and, the, and the workouts and do things on their own to, to fill the other half the glass like we keep telling them right now is, you need to do stuff on your own with extra running and, and, and being around each other, playing pickup on your own if you can. If they approach it, you know, our freshmen and sophomores away and juniors the way that I think they will, um, I think that will be another level of athlete on that field next year with experience, stronger physically, stronger mentally. And I think that's going to just help elevate us. We do have a, you know, a transfer coming in, and Megan, she'll be joining us. And, she fits right in with our culture mindset, so she's going to give us a boost. So she'll be here for spring semester. So excited to add another player to the group. I'm, I'm being positive about it, but I think this group will have a really good offseason. Um, and, it, and it does then get into the summertime, and that's important too, to stay together and stay fit during the summer. Uh, so if they do those things, it'll be it'll, good things will be happening for sure. Jeff, thank you so much for spending time with me as we record another episode of the Hounds Huddle podcast. It's been a pleasure to learn more about your your career as a student athlete but also how you went about your tenure uh, as coaching at Eastern your sinus I feel like I learn something new every time I have a conversation with a coach and and we we've talked quite a bit off screen and it's just been great to develop our relationship over the past couple of years so I appreciate the opportunity and it's always enjoyable to talk with you and this is a pretty cool setting as well <laughs> so thanks for having me awesome thank you very much coach what a pleasure it was to sit down and talk with head coach Jeff Yakorik of the women's soccer program. I am so glad I had the time to learn about him and his playing career, his influences as a coach, and ultimately the success of the women's soccer program here at Moravian. Be sure to follow the women's soccer team on social media at Moravian Women's Soccer on Instagram and Moravian University Women's Soccer on Facebook. And if you haven't done so already, go ahead and follow Moravian University Athletics as well. That is all I have for you on this episode of the Hounds Huddle podcast. Until next time, I'm LJ Smith, signing off.